Amen. Thank you. Really enjoyed that. Did you all enjoy that? Amen. Amen. I did as well. And even Jamie looked good up there standing between them ladies, you know. <clears throat> he didn't hear me. That's all right. He, he knows I love him. Let me talk to you tonight about a different kind of subject, a little different message than I preached last night. Uh, I, uh, I'm not going to promise you that this is going to tickle your funny bone or anything like that, but I want to talk to you about changing the mind of God. Changing the mind of God. Now, I know what you might be thinking now. Some might be thinking God doesn't change his mind. But you need to read the Bible really thoroughly, and you'll find out that he does. Ask Hezekiah. He'll tell you. Ask Moses. He'll tell you. Ask Jonah. He'll tell you. Uh, the Bible's full of examples. But I want to start by saying that relationships are based upon promises. We have a relationship with God, amen? It's based on a promise, or many promises, I should say. It is when both parties assure each other that they're going to perform in a certain way. Now, that's not the way that people normally look at a relationship with God in this day and time. They look at it as if God is bound by his word, but sometimes we're not bound by our word. As a matter of fact, I think that may be very quickly becoming the norm. We're not so bound, but God is. Now, given that what I've said is true, and I'd, I'd be glad to talk to you later if you doubt that it's true, I want to go a little further and say that there's a lot of folks who have a twisted view of their relationship with God. Revival is necessary in our land today because of the way people view their relationship with God. It's not the same as you have with your spouse or with your friends. It's entirely different. It's a covenant. A covenant between you and God. That covenant, I think, is called bilateral, and it simply means that he has said he would do certain things if you do certain things. And you have promised him the same. Now, I really believe that there are those, and many I might add, that are acutely aware that God has made promises to us. I think most of us understand that. He said, I will do this. But the promises that they remember are things like he'll love us, forgive us, never leave us, never forsake us, and he's going to come back for us. So we like those promises, amen? And sometimes those are the only promises in the minds of some people who consider themselves to be in a relationship with God. However, if you look at most churches' record books, you will discover that many folks do not remember a single promise that they have made to God. 
They can tell you what God said to them, but they cannot tell you what they have promised God. It's gone. They're kind of like an adulterous spouse that values their moral and their ethical freedom more than their relationship. And every time that we exercise that freedom that we claim, we destroy a little bit more the relationship that we have with God. So what we have right now tonight as I'm speaking to you all over America, we have churches that are full of people who have this twisted up concept of what that relationship ought to be. You see, God, now I'm going I'm to ring your bell a little bit tonight, okay, but hopefully you'll stay with me until the end. They believe somehow or other God is so bound by what he says that he will do that he'll forget that he almost always says, I'll do this if you'll do this. Read it, you'll find out I'm true. We forget that latter part. And so sometimes God has said, I, I promise you, I will do this. And those promises are abundant. But he has also said in every instance that I can read, I'll do this if you do this. I'll do this if you'll persevere. I'll do this if you keep my commandments. I'll do this if you pray to me frequently. I'll do this if you're broken before me. God makes those kind of promises. Now, they have forgotten that God's promises always come with those kind of contingencies. Now, it's always, I will if you will. But do people care today? Let me answer that for you. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like that we feel obligated to keep our end of it. The result is a great need for revival in America's churches. I know some of you in this room have probably traveled around the world and, and, and been in other countries and with other cultures and know a little bit about what's out there, but friend, we, we're not shining lights in our churches in America. Not like you think we are. You go to some of those places and you see some shining lights. And you'll see commitment and obligation on the part of the people that you don't see very often here. And here's the reason why. We're spoiled. Can, can, I, can I just get right down where you are and talk to you tonight? We're spoiled. We think that somehow or other we've gotten into this relationship where we don't have to be sold out. There's a bunch of really slick looking dudes out there on television right now sitting on a stool, hair slicked back, holes in their jeans and the whole nine yards. And you know what they're doing? They're letting everybody believe that a relationship with God is so easy because God doesn't really think that there's a hell at all. And he's certainly not going to talk about sin. And so some of those preachers week after week will feed your heads and anybody else that will listen with a bunch of junk that really is not going to get them into a relationship with God. Instead, it's going to destroy whatever relationship they had. 
Because God is not about to bless those who are not staying true to what they said they would do. The reason we need revival is because we're busted. We've had troubles. Now, this is invitation, and I don't want to get too carried away here, but I can tell you that we're going to be in the Old Testament a lot tonight. And I know some of you say, why don't you preach out of the New Testament more? Well, it's short. I like long text. Amen? Moses led a people who made this very fatal mistake. Time after time, they continually hurt God by complaining and, and mumbling and murmuring and just they, they never were satisfied. And time after time, God would clean up their messes. He'd speak forgiveness to them and he'd just continue in his promise. And then one day they pushed him too far. And we're going to read about that tonight. It's when God told Moses that he was supposed to send spies into the promised land. He said, Moses, I want you to send them in there and see what I've prepared for you. <laughs> this is good. I'm going to give you the promised land, man. You go in there and you're going to see the greatest harvest of, of fruits and vegetables that your, 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 your mind can ever conceive of. It's a place of milk and honey. Imagine it, it's good, Moses. Send your spies in there and let them look at it. You know what they're going to do? They're going to come back and tell everybody, man, what a deal we got over there waiting on us. And so they went. The Bible says they went in there at the very first clusters of grapes. That's very important because it tells us how long they were there. Because, you see, they went in when the clusters were first forming. And they came out whenever they were fully grown. And they were abundant. The first thing they saw, Jamie, was a little bit of a bunch of grapes hanging on, on the branch. But then, before too long, walking around, and it even tells the route, they come to the place where exactly what God said would be there was there. Now, I don't know about you, I love grapes. They're $1.59 right now at Aldi's. Some people watch the stock market. I watch the grape prices. Love them. You can ask my wife. I get green grapes. I get, I get uh, purple grapes. I, every once in a while, I even get black grapes. You know, it, I just love grapes. If they told me, you can go over there and, and, and get a, a bunch of grapes, and you can just, all, all the too many can do is carry it back, I'd say, hallelujah, that's a good day. But you know what they did when they saw that? They came back and said, we can't do it. The Lord said, I want to give you this. It's a promise. That's why they call it the promised land. Huh? I'm going to give you this promise. And they came back and said, we don't want it. It's too hard to obtain it. What's that he said on your shoulders? We got it, but boy, it's hard to get it. Friend, God said, I will if you will. He said, if you will occupy, then he said, I will give you the prize that I promised. That has not changed. You listen in a moment when I read the scripture for you, but that has not changed to this very moment. God still says, 
I've offered this to you. And if you will do the work, if you'll do what I told you to do, I guarantee you're going to have the promise. But then he reserves the right. When people don't do what they said they would do, to say, I've changed my mind. We're going to read about some of that tonight. Look with me in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. While you're looking there, I want you to know that, sure enough, God cannot lie. There's no doubt about that. But never make the mistake that God cannot change his mind. Because certainly he can. Numbers 13, 1 and 2 is the way we'll begin. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You send men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Now that's pretty plain. That's the way it starts. Look down at verse 17 now. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is. And the people that dwell therein, whether they are strong, or weak, or few, or many. And what that land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be for lean, whether there be wood in it or not. And you be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they searched the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the brook of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it, between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brookish coal because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from there. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So 40 days after that first cluster, here comes the big harvest just like God said was going to be there, told Moses, tell him this. And from this story, I want to I try to get you to emphasize some thoughts tonight. First of all, I want you to see the promise of prosperity delayed. I want you to look at first what God promised. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? 
yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now listen to what he promised. He said, I'll give you blessings so great that you cannot contain them. The devourer, the devil, will be prevented from somehow blocking your good harvest. He said, I'm going to give you something, and I'm going to be on your side. That's God's promise. So then why have some not received it? If God makes a promise like that, why do some not receive the promise? Stay with me. Malachi 3, 7. Even from the day of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. See, it didn't change in, the, in 30 seconds. Still there. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? Now listen to this. God says, I want to bless you. I want to give you so much that you can't even handle it. But then the question comes, well, why don't we have it? And God's answer is, because you've gone away from my ordinances. Because you haven't done what your end of the bargain was. My end of the bargain was I'd give you this if you would do something. If you will bring your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse, then I'll open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that cannot be contained. See, that's a covenant. That says what God will do, and it says what you must do. And I've known a lot of people in my life that couldn't figure out why they were not prosperous. After all, God promised prosperity. But friend, I want you to know it depends on obedience. And what's missing in our churches tonight, and to a great degree, is, is what I call accountability and obedience. Those two things put together are sure ruin for so many Christians that are not able to get the victory over the devil. The reason we don't get the victory is because we're not doing what God said to do. We're not keeping a part of the relationship. Robbing God. And because of that, the Bible says they are what? Cursed with a curse. You tell me that's not a mind change? I want to bless you, but I will curse you. Changing the mind of God is as simple as just failing to obey God. Now I want you to see secondly tonight the promise of his presence deprived. God has promised to stick closer than a brother. Where you are, he said, I'll be there. In fact, the Bible indicates that he will go before you. Wherever you're going, he's been there before. Amen? That's a promise.
Listen to Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places wherever you go. And I'll bring you again to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Boy, you talk about a promise. I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you until I've done that which I said I would do. If God came to you and told you that directly, would you not say that's a promise I cannot afford to do my part to keep? But yet we do it. We do it and it's so easy for us. Here's the promise again. Listen to it carefully. He will go with us wherever we go. Secondly, he will not leave us until the last of his promises to us are fulfilled. That ought to make a Episcopalian shout. And some of you sit there just like knots on a log right now like you're not even hearing what I'm saying. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you tonight? God has made some wonderful promises to us. But they all are contingent upon what we do with the promise. Whether we do the right things or whether we decide we don't have to do our part. Why then have people not received it? Some people would say, well, preacher, listen, I, I just don't feel God. He just doesn't appear to be with me anymore. God's promises have never been broken. If you're doing your part, you'll know God's around. I don't care if you are Baptist and got starchy underwear. I'm telling you, you will know it if God is with you. There's no way you can avoid that. If you've truly been saved, if you've been changed from the inside out, I got news for you, you cannot help but let folks know that you've been saved from the inside out. You won't be able to keep it out. Some of you think you can control the Holy Spirit? No way. No way. You know why people are not excited about telling people about Jesus? Because they don't believe God's promises are true. They think that he can have his, they can have his presence without following his commandments. Not so. Not according to this. That will not happen. Let me have you look for just a moment at Numbers 1440 and following. And they rose up early in the morning and got up into the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we be here. And we'll go up unto the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Don't go up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. That's a change of mind. That's when God has said, I will be with you. And then said, because of this, I won't go with you. See, they crossed the line. 
They thought that God's presence was such a sure thing that regardless of whether they obeyed him or not, he was, he was somehow compelled to be with them, not to ever leave them. But that's not true, church. I, Brother Jake, if, if, I, if you see me going too far, just put your fingers in your ears because I'm going to finish. Listen. The reason that we have folks that will come on Sunday morning and not darken the doors of the church until the next Sunday morning is pretty obvious to me. They don't believe about the relationship they have with God. Yeah, I did. I said it. It's true. Show me it's not true. You know what? If you get changed, you get changed. Before I was saved, I didn't want to go near a church. My wife would take my kids to the North Benton Missionary Baptist Church, and I'd go fishing. And I'd drive by there, and the, back, that was back before a lot of air conditioning. The windows would be up. And they'd be in there just singing and singing, and I'd drive down the road saying, listen to them silly people in there singing, and somebody's in there giving their money to them for doing it. But then I got saved. Singing sounded so good because they're singing about Jesus. Amen? And I kind of forgot about fishing for fish. All of a sudden, what I want to do is fish for men, fish for women, fish for kids. All the priorities had changed, but let me tell you why they changed. Because I got changed. Our problems in our churches is folks aren't getting changed. But they fooled themselves into believing they have. Hello? Did I tell you this would be hard tonight? Did you ever wonder why some folks think that it's acceptable to, vi to visit God at church maybe one time a month? I've got folks in my own church that somehow believe that one time a month is really a banner, banner year for them. But yet, if you ask them, they say, yeah, you've got a good relationship with God. No. No, you have to tear some pages out of the book to believe that. His presence is guaranteed, but it is guaranteed when you're not turning away from the Lord. When you stop letting him guide your every move, then you've stopped fearing his chastisement. I hope you're not hearing me say tonight that I, I, I try to stay the course because of how good I am. It may have a little bit to do with it, but very little. I, 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 have any of you ever tried to take off on God before? Come on now. Don't make me use the bell. How many of you have, how many of you at one time or another sort of thought, I'm just going to step back just a little bit? Amen. Let me ask you, how did that work out for you? How did that make you feel? Well, I bet you were just guilt-free. You just walked down the street and acted like well, nothing's wrong. Got news for you. If that's what you were doing, you need to get saved. Amen? Because if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, I guarantee you when you start doing that to God, you're going to feel his convicting spirit telling you no, no, no. You can't sin with impunity whenever you're 
a child of God. He's not going to let you do that. Revival is necessary today because some people think that you can stand with your enemies even if the Lord is not with you. But friend, let me tell you what, his presence, which indicates his power is with you, is only available when you're doing your part of the covenant, the bargain. Thirdly tonight, I want you to see the promise of peace declined. How many of you love peace? My parents moved a lot. They moved to West City, Illinois. How many of you have ever been to West City, Illinois? Amen. It's, it's, uh, it, right now it's known as Walmart. <laughs> but back in the day, it wasn't known as Walmart at all. It was known as Tavern Drive. 17 taverns all in a row. There were about 12 churches, several of them Baptist churches. It was a different kind of place altogether. And when my parents was moving, at every time it seemed like they left one neighborhood to move to a worse neighborhood. And then one day we moved right next to the railroad tracks. And, a, and across the street from us was the family. I'm not going to say their names because sure as the world somebody would be related to them. But they were those kind of neighbors. Did you ever read about those neighbors from someplace else? You know, the ones that are always knocking on your door. My mama taught me how to lie. You know how she taught me how to lie? She saw the neighbors coming and she said, tell them I'm not home. <laughs> Mom went back, hid in the kitchen. I went to the door and she said, we come to borrow some sugar. And I said, my mama's not home. Bingo. Me and mama both lied. But I tell you what, I, I lived there long enough to realize why. That was, a, that was a terrible, terrible time. Every day, there was a problem. Now, my parents weren't perfect, but my parents didn't instigate all those problems. There was no peace. You, you get up in the morning thinking, I wonder if they burned out last night. You know? Some of you are looking at me like, oh, I never had a neighbor like that. Yes, you did. Sometime or another, some of you did. Huh? My mom used to look over across the street and say, if we ever get enough money, we're going to move as far away from them people as we possibly can. No peace. I don't care if you tried, there was no peace. How many of you remember years ago when they had wakes that lasted quite a while? These folks had a death. I don't know who it was. Wasn't anybody real close to them, I don't think. But they had it at their place. And they didn't have it for a few hours. All night long. They sung songs that I didn't even know what those songs were. I don't think they were in the hymnal. But yet they sung all night long. And my mom and my dad was up and walking up back and forth and saying, man, there's got to be something we can do about them folks. No peace. Now, that's a pretty radical illustration. But sitting right here tonight, there are people who have that much struggle inside them all the time <clears throat> over who knows what, just no peace. Let me tell you why we don't have peace. It's because the relationship has changed. 
and the promise of peace has been declined. The Old Testament and New Testament alike abound with the promises of God's peace. In John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Friend, you can have peace. It's a promise from God. But let's look for a moment at the, the parts of peace. First, it's the absence of fear. No fear. Secondly, it's so much favor with mankind that they're afraid to attack. Thirdly, it's a life that's absent of turmoil. I am convinced, I've been a pastor long enough, I am convinced that there are folks on the rolls of Baptist churches everywhere that would not know how to act if they were not in a constant turmoil. And yet, if you ask, they would tell you they're in a good relationship with God. What's wrong with that? Well, simply, the Bible says that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says if you cannot love your neighbor, you're not really able to love God. And, that, and, and I'm telling it right in the brother Chuck, sure. Listen. Somehow or other, we've got to get this right. And I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on it a long, long time tonight. But let me just tell you why some people do not have peace. Numbers 14.20 says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But as truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Tell me God don't change his mind? Sure he does. Look at 14.26, just a couple of verses down. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long will I bear with this evil congregation that murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, says the Lord, As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and up which have murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein save Caleb the son of Jephthah and Joshua the son of Nun. Now stop there for just a moment. God is speaking to a bunch of people who have left Egypt with him. They've come out with Moses. But yet, he just said, none of you except two men are going to enter into the promise that I made you. Did you ever stop and think about that? Israel went in, they surely did. But not those people. It was their children and their children's children. Those that, that violated God's command, those that didn't really 
want to hang on to his presence, were told, no, you can't do it. Just Joshua and Caleb. You know what, friend? It teaches me some things here that I think you and I will learn tonight. First of all, we ought to stop our murmuring. See, I'm not a murmurer. What is a murmurer? Well, it's a hard word to say. That's someone who has this attitude. Why doesn't God do murmuring? Challenging what God does or does not do. That's the murmur. Friend, I, I got news for you. If you're doing that, you'll stop it. You ought not be saying, why doesn't God do this or why doesn't God do that? Right now, we're in a time where a lot of people are doing that. They're looking at the Ukraine and looking at all those people that are having such a terrible, terrible time and say, why doesn't God do something about that? When you're traveling with God, don't murmur. Don't question God. If you can question yourself, you can question your government, fine. But don't question God because God won't put up with such a thing. He won't let you in. Let me go a little further with this. We ought to stop our complaining. How many of you know that Baptists are just gifted that way? Amen? Come on, let, let's, let's lighten up a little bit. Now, don't you know some Baptists that just, it just comes natural? Yeah. Somebody will get up and they'll sing the stars down. They'll beat people all over crying and everything and there'll be three or four people saying, that ain't my style of music. I heard some nervous laughter then. There's some in here that's done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brother Jake might run to 15 hospitals this week. And somebody will say something offhanded like, why doesn't he spend more time with his family? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that? It doesn't have to be the pastor. It can be one of the members that you're sitting there with tonight. Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Why doesn't our church see this and see that? Listen, stop your complaining. Change things. But don't do it with a wagging tongue. Read the book of James. You'll figure out real quickly the tongue is an unruly member. It's hard to tame that thing. But the only thing you can do is bite it till it hurts. And it'll, it'll teach you a lesson. Have any of you ever tried that to bite your tongue when you, ever, you, you said something you shouldn't have said? I, me and this sister right here have done it. You know what? I, I'd like to say it cured me. But it, it certainly helped me. Huh? just to remind myself, no, don't do that. Don't complain about that all the time. You know, you know what? I don't know how many of you just love to see that person come to you on Sunday and you know that they're coming with a complaint about somebody. There's that nervous laughter again. <laughs> well, I, wasn't, I was in the hall the other day, preacher, but it wasn't me. I know. No, no, no. I was asking where the bathroom was. <laughs> yeah.
Brother Jake, does this ever happen to you? Does anybody wait? <laughs> this man is red. <laughs> Does anybody right before you go to the pulpit ever come to you to tell you what's wrong? Maybe. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> If this man doesn't make it as a pastor, he's going to be a great politician someday. <laughs> I love you, Jake. <laughs> oh, boy. Guarantee he's heard some complaints right before the time that he needs to be the most spiritually in tune. Somebody will come and they'll have this great, great problem. Sometimes they are pretty good size, but they think you ought to know it right before you step into the pulpit. Now, I don't know about other preachers. Jake's different than me. He'll see you coming and say, oh, I'm glad you're back. You know what I'm thinking? If I had a gun, There's something wrong with that, folks. We ought not be complaining all the time. We got a good God, amen? In a wonderful church, you got an awesome pastor. Everything that God can bless you with, he has blessed you with. And I don't know anybody's complaining in this room right now. But if you are, zip it up. You'll help your church greatly if you just shut your mouth. Huh? Now, some of you blow up. It'd finally just swell up and boom, and you'd be gone. Pretty hard to hold that in for a long time. Amen? Am I doing all right? Is that what you told me to say? <laughs> I better wind this up before Jake really gets mad at me. Right now, he's just giggling a lot. I want you to see the hard truth that's declared by all that I've told you so far tonight. First one, God does not like buts. I'm talking about that little four-letter word, sometimes three-letter word, when people will say, yes, but Numbers 13:27 says and they told him and said we came to the land whether you sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it nevertheless that word today be translated but but the people are strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. 
Too many people say, I know that's what the Bible says, but. Friend, there are no buts with God. His word is still true as the day that he wrote it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Now, you can like it or lump it. Don't matter. There's a famous little preacher in America. His name is Andy. You can figure out his last name if you want to. Andy just <clears throat> made a quote the other day that made the Baptist papers all over the country. Here was the quote. It's not what you believe about the Word of God that will help you. So far, he's okay. He says, but it's just how you know Jesus. Now, that sounds innocuous, right? But here's the problem. <laughs> Jesus quoted this thing so many times, it's ridiculous. He, he, he told us about Jonah. He believed it. He ought to believe it. He made Jonah, made the boat that got him there. Jesus knows there's a hell. He told us there's a hell. He, he told us everything that is the word of God. Now, we either believe that God has divinely inspired this book as the words of God, or... We don't believe this is the Word of God because you can't pick and choose and say, but. In our society today, there's so much of this stuff of just blowing things off, saying, you know what, that don't matter at all what the Bible says. This is now, God didn't realize this was going to be like this. Got news for you. God never said that. What God said is true, and it cannot be changed. You all got a lot of babies here, right? Love babies. As long as somebody else takes them home. Love babies. It's so good to see them church full of them. Man, it's awesome. But I can show you a lot of folks who claim to have a relationship with God will tell you, that God will look the other way while you abort those babies. That's not the word of God. You know what God calls it? Murder. You know what God says that will happen to murderers? They have their part in the lake of fire. You tell me how somebody... Hey, young, young man, it's Karcher, right? Would you just hold that sweet little girl up just so we can see her right there? You tell me how somebody can think that God has made something like that and it's okay to destroy it before it gets its first breath. Tell me how you can do that. You can't do that. There's a family in my church right now, the Nicholson family. Jake is this big dude. He's about as tall as this boy right here and and, and quite a bit wider. He's wider than me. He's a big guy. And he's got a little old short wife, just as sweet as she can be. And they, they were pregnant, so happy they were pregnant. And, and all of a sudden, she decided to have a baby that was one pound, six ounces. Way early. I'll tell you what. Not long ago, 
One of them gave testimony in our church about their salvation experience and what God had done for them. Jake's sitting back there, and he, his wife is talking, and he's got that little baby. It's about a year old now. And she's about the size of probably Jake when he was born, you know, it, by now, but, but uh, sweet as she can be. I said, Jake, hold, hold that baby up here. And he just went, you know, for him, it's just a handful, you know. But I said, that in America does not have the right to live. Tell me God's word says, but the right of somebody else somehow is greater than the right of that child to live. You can't find that in this book. You know what? It's getting quiet. And I'll tell you why. Because our society has gotten to the point to where they say but a lot. Folks have some really messed up minds today about uh, subjects like gender and other things like that. But they'll say but, but, but. God didn't know but. God knows everything. He's an omniscient being. He's not ever fooled. He knows exactly about you. And you know what? I've got some sinful tendencies myself. Yeah. None of you got them, right? So I have to make a choice. And the choice is either to follow after God or follow my own desires. Hello? Don't ever say but. God didn't make that provision. Don't ever say the Bible says that, but. Now, failing to claim God's promises will always lead to a bad report. If you have God's promise and you know what it is, do not fail to claim it. Look at Numbers 13.32. We're talking now about 10 real strange fellows. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Friend, too many people exaggerate the enemy while they're claiming, or failing, I'm sorry, to claim their promise. Nothing's too big for our God. They ought to have come back and said, you know what, this is a piece of cake. One bunch of grapes, look at this. You know, how could we not go claim that? That's what the report should have been. But instead it was, no, we, we, we can't do it. As a matter of fact, it says in 14, one of Numbers, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. People just lost all heart over 10 men with a bad report. They were a majority. The majority is not always right. Two men, Joshua, Caleb, good report, but in a minority. You know what was wrong with those 10? They're just like us today. When people are discouraged, sometimes they see the devil everywhere. God will show them this wonderful place, this wonderful thing that can happen. 
And they say, no, I, I, the Bible says test the spirit. See what kind they are. This might be a trick. Friend, let me tell you something. Make sure you listen to. A minority report is more reliable than a majority when the minority reporters are full of the Holy Ghost of God. I don't think that too very many of us at least would think that there are conditions to his promises, but there are. Numbers 14, 8, and 9 says this, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Friend, God delights in us, but his delight is dependent upon us not rebelling against him. God has offered you something here, church. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God has offered you something. There's not very many churches that are having the, the kind of, of attendance right now that y'all are having having a strong core stay with you like they have, you're, you're, believe me, you're blessed. So many churches right now are closing around America, it is ridiculous. People are definitely giving up. God said, I'm going to give you things, but don't you give up. You keep going with me, I'll get you there. You know what's wrong? Now if, you'll, if you'll act like you know what's wrong, I'll stop right here. Let me tell you what it is. To claim the promises, you have to have the faith to keep the promise. You have to have the faith that God will keep the promise. Listen to Romans 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's a pretty innocuous passage there in our New Testament. But what it's talking about here are people who had God's promise that he had declared finally all things fit to eat, but they didn't have the faith to eat it. God has opened up the, the windows of heaven for this church, no doubt. You could not have the kind of services that you have. You could not have the success that you've been having unless God had opened up the windows. So church, don't fail. Don't fail to claim them because God can and will change his mind when he senses that people are not following his commandments, not doing what he said they were going to do so that he can do what he said he would. Living good's not enough. I know y'all live good. You have to go where he, where he sends you. Do what he tells you. 
stay where he puts you. That's the way churches can obey God today. You know, I hope that the only thing that you remember about the service is not Jake changing colors. I hope that you'll remember what I tried to show you here. Very plain. It was lengthy. But believe me, if you'll let that soak in, it'll tell you a story about God changing his mind. I close with this. A man named Hezekiah. Pretty sure it was Hezekiah. If it's not, boy, I got egg on my face. Thought that he was going to die. And he began to pray to God. He really got right with God. And God gave him a promise. And the promise was that he was going to live for, I forget now how many years it was, but he was going to live and he was going to be successful. That promise was given at a time when the enemy was gathering against him. As a matter of fact, it was happening around the time that they were digging a tunnel from the springs up on the top of the mountain where Jerusalem sits and down into the city itself for about a quarter of a mile down at an angle just like this. Very quickly they were working, putting a group of workers up on top digging down into Jerusalem. Some other folks had a pool they'd found down there digging up. A long time ago, God gave me the a blessing to let me go through that tunnel. And I want you to know I couldn't do it today because, well, I've grown taller. <laughs> but it was, it was very tight, okay? But you could go through that tunnel and find where those two teams came together. They were off six inches in a quarter of a mile tunnel, eighth of a mile one way, eighth of a mile another way, going uphill and downhill. There's some engineers in the room. How hard is that, engineers? Not easy. They didn't have any slide rules that I'm aware of. But they did it. God's promise to Hezekiah rang true. But it was because he cried out to God in faith. If revival comes really comes. You know what? If there's anybody here that raises their hand tonight and says they're lost, you'll be the first ones this week. Revival will happen when we get off of our no, I was going to say that other word, that four letter word a while ago, but no, I better not do that. Unless we get off of those seats and start looking for ways to tell people about Jesus. And bring them in. The day is coming. Churches all over America are going to see it. When God says, I've changed my mind. This is what I was going to do. This is what I promised to do. But God's people haven't obeyed. That's what brings revival. Now, that's hard. I know. When I thought about what I was going to say to conclude this, I thought, you sure about this, God? I think he was. That's hard. But that's exactly what I'm here to tell you tonight. Fellowship in this place is sweet. 
What you call these people, Hannah? Sweet. Sweet people, yeah. Friend, I got news for you. God can take that away just like that. God is not going to continue to bless you because you bless each other. Because you show how great your love is for each other. His blessings are going to hang upon what you think about those people outside that are not a part of you yet. That, my friend, is obedience and faith to God. That causes churches to be in revival all the time. Would you be willing to baptize every Sunday, Jake? Yeah. He's lost a little weight. He could probably do that without wrinkling too bad for quite some time. Every Sunday, Jake. Every Sunday. I saw that one time in a church. Every Sunday. Most of them multiple. Sometimes Sunday morning, Sunday night. And you say, boy, you must have been quite a preacher back then, Brother John. I wasn't doing anything. The church was doing it. I'd just get up to preach, and here they would come down there. They'd be, some of them come with two people, just get both hands full, got them by the hands, bring them to the Lord. That makes it pretty easy for a preacher, Brother Jake. Could you handle some of that? How many of you would really like to see something like that happen right here on this hill? Now be careful how you're answering, okay? How many of you would like to see God really get loose right here? Really? No, come on. How many of you really want to see him get loose? Yeah. Amen. That's, that's the kind of, that's the response you're going to have to have when you stand before him. And you ought to be doing it right here and right now. Get a little bit excited about what God can do. And you know what? It may cause you to have to change seats. Your favorite parking place may be occupied by some stranger. Now, I know you already got some of that going on, right? But wouldn't it be neat if you showed up on Sunday morning and all the parking places were gone and then all those late arrivers that come to church every week about 10 minutes late can't find a seat? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You didn't know how to answer that. Some of you are going, no, no. Some of you are elbowing each other about being late, all right? Now, that, and that's good. That's all right. Don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. <laughs> Listen, folks. Revival can happen. It doesn't happen because somebody like me comes and preaches a long time. It happens when people really catch the vision and say, hey, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do. So zip it up. Don't let your tongue get out of control. Join together. Grow. Trust God. Have faith. Rely on his promises. Said all that now to say this. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you would go to heaven if you died. Let me explain that a little bit more thoroughly tonight. The only way you can be sure that you would go to heaven if you died is if at some point in time God has convicted you that you were a sinner and you have responded to that by saying, I need Jesus in my life. I need to be saved. 
I need my life changed. If you have not done that, then that's not salvation. Whatever you got, that's, that's not what it is. You have to be drawn by God, convinced by him, and then you have to be accepting of him and say, God, I'm ready to live my life for you. That's what it means to truly be saved. So right now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, if you're here tonight and you can say to me, Brother John, I'm not real big on getting up in front of people or anything like that, but if you would just pray for me, that before it's too late, I would get saved. Before God actually calls my number, I would get saved. Just pray for me. Don't come to me. Don't embarrass me. Just pray. If that is you, trust me tonight. I won't lie to you. If you're not sure, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. Just slip up your hand where you are so I can see it. Let me pray for you. Is there anyone in this room tonight? I see your hand. Put it down. Anyone else? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I see your hand, sir. Anyone else? Just pray for me, Brother John. That's all I'm going to do. Just pray for you. I'll give an invitation to come. That's up to you. No one's going to know. I'm not even going to tell Jake who you are. Anyone else? Brother John, include me in your prayer. I see your hand. You put it down. I've seen three hands now. Are there any others? Brother John, include me in the prayer. Don't come to me. Don't embarrass me. Just pray for me. Anyone else, just slip your hand up where you are. Leave it up long enough that I can see it. And I'll pray a simple prayer. Father God, you have seen these three, Lord, you're so good, you would have sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, even if there had just been one, but three here are not sure. And Father, sometimes it happens that either we make a profession when we're very young, or we haven't understood fully what we've tried to do. And indeed, there may be some who've never, never even thought about doing it before. I don't know exactly what's going on in their minds, but I know what's going on in their hearts. Their heart says, pray for me. I'm not sure. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help them to be sure before they leave this place. Help them, Lord, to know fully in their spirit that as they go out the doors tonight, they'll know that Jesus lives and he lives inside of them. Save them, Lord. And Lord, begin it by giving them the strength in a little while. When we do say, would you all come? Give them the strength, the boldness to get up from their seats and walk down here and to take this pastor by the hand and to tell him, I've come to be saved. Lord, prepare some folks for altar work. Get them all ready to go to lead some people to Jesus. For I ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.